Welcome back. Episode five of the Backside Ground Ball Pod. What's going on, Trev? Just living the dream. Coming live from the great state of North Carolina. The best state in the country. Is it ridiculously hot down there still? No, it's not too bad right now, to be honest with you. It's supposed to be 80s this week. That's not bad. I'll tell you what. One, when I was down there last week, that's like a, that was a different kind of heat. I mean, it was real feel like 105 every day. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, whew, you step outside and it just slaps you in the face. You get used to it. I The the biggest difference for me was waking up at 6, 7 a.m. and walking outside and it being like hot, hot. Already like, hot. Yeah, already, already like 86. Hot. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. And then I got a, I had a weird feeling today. I walked outside like early afternoon and I, it was just like a little bit of like early fall feel for me up here yeah. in, in Delaware. I don't know why. You know, like in the like beginning of September when it's still real hot, but it's a different type of hot. Yeah, I had to, that was the feeling today, and it was almost like, man, I I can feel like training camp coming. Yeah, it's coming. It's, 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 coming it's quick. about we're, to be college football season. Yeah, we're twenty two days away from Penn State kicking off. Yeah, I know. I guess I should be saying we're close to playoff baseball since this is a baseball podcast, but we're allowed to have more than one interest in life. No, that's we're not. No, not at all. And 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 the dogs get former defensive coordinator Dan Lanning in the opener, and I'm slightly concerned. <laughs> I mean, he's going to know you? how to scheme. It's just whether or not the athletes match up. They don't. They don't. Anyway, back to baseball. Um, another good week of baseball as we move into August, into September, into the playoff hunt. We saw some really good series. We're going to get into it. Then we'll, we'll kind of preview the – we'll break down some of the things we saw. We'll preview the upcoming weekend. A um, couple of really good series coming at you this weekend. A couple of teams to keep your eye on um, moving forward. Can I just start the show real quick? Freaking Orioles, man. Yeah. And I, we might maybe when we get into the, our next episode where we, we kind of go deeper into things. We need to start talking about that. Just because I get that they're, they're still not one of the best teams in the league, but the fact that they're competing for a playoff spot in a division where the four other teams were actually attempting to compete for a playoff spot and the Orioles still sold at the deadline. How do you not? What a good story. Yeah, well, Brandon Hyde is, I thought, since they hired him, he was a great fit. And I think just looking at that organization, like you look at what, Mike Elias and company did in Houston and how they kind of built that contender. It was kind of finding what they used to talk about was market inefficiencies, right? And what do we talk about with bullpen arms all the time? They grow on trees nowadays and the Orioles prove that. I mean, they're, they're out there just grabbing guys who throw a hundred, you know, filthy wipeout breaking pitches and just pounding the zone, you know, trading their closer and then going and, you know, Felix Bautista throws a billion miles per hour with spin and, and, and a hammer slider. And it's just like they knew. And even their their pitching staff is basically scrap heap, right? There's no Grayson Rodriguez yet. There's no Cool. Hall. There's none, none of these guys that they've developed. It's just good, good pieces. Jordan Lyles. That they kinda, yeah, that they kind of found the, a la 
the Dodgers, a la these, the Giants that have been able to develop these arms, put them in a position to be successful. And that's just what the Orioles are doing. And then you start to sprinkle in a guy like Adley Rutschman, who is a budding superstar, superstar. He's already like tops in the league in war as a catcher. And he's played like 55 games because he's a stud well, he's- and he has 20 doubles. And he's one I every time I see like him doing something again, I just keep thinking back to when me and you were talking at the trade deadline about catching prospects. And it's like, well, some of them are slam dunks. Yeah. Like he, he was slam dunk. He's he is exactly what he was built to be. One one overall, franchise changing mm-hmm. catcher. It's so rare. Like you just don't see those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Switch hitting catcher. I mean he's you know, and, and it's tough because catching is wear and tear on your body, so it's hard to project, project as much future-wise as him. You know, you kind of see Matt Weeders kind of came up and was the same thing, switching and catcher, top of the draft um, for the Orioles as well. And you hate to look at how Matt Weeders' dawn of his career ended was just, you know, body wearing down. But when you watch Adley Rutschman play right now, like he isn't even tapping into the surface of what he can oh, be as a anything. Um, oh. No, it's just no. and he's he's a great defender. He receives so well. He's handling that pitching staff, and I, I mean, you notice the turn of that team when he showed up. Mm-hmm. When he and showed up, still, for sure, they're still waiting on Grayson Rodriguez. They're still waiting on Gunnar Henderson, who is going to be a stud, stud. and stud skyrocketed up prospect rankings. And Grayson Rodriguez has been the best pitching prospect in baseball for the last two years unanimously. And it's so when you get those guys in this big league roster and DL all throws a hundred from the left side and he just more, if he stays healthy. Yeah. DL Hall can stay healthy. Good night. Yeah. I mean, he was dealing with some stuff around the air, but they're awesome. What a good story. Um, they got rained out in their series finale against the Blue Jays trying to go for a sweep of Toronto. Again, like the, the teams that they're playing, like it's not like they're beating up on bad teams all the time. They're beating teams that in their division, which is a really good division. Um, we had part two, round two, whatever you want to say, of the Mariners and the Yankees. Yankees went out to Seattle um, and lost two or three. They continue to slide. And the Mariners, man, they just keep doing it. The Luis Castillo, like – if you're a Yankees fan right now, and I'm sure there's tons of them who are very, very upset at what Cashman did at the deadline, even though it was like a really good move. But when Castillo just continues to shove it up your, you know, your rear end three times now this year, there's probably so many Yankees fans like, why couldn't we just go get him? Why couldn't we just move? I don't yeah. want Matas. And it's just impressive. I mean, that game, um, let's talk about that a little bit. The game with him and Cole, ridiculous. They both pitched deep into the game. It's a nothing-nothing game all night long. They go 13 innings, um, and Mariners end up winning it. one nothing on a, a Luis Torrens walk-off single through the hole. Finally, someone was able to score an extras. Um, it was just – it was a postseason feeling. It was such a – I feel like a marker win for this Mariners team. You know, they've struggled with the Astros. Um, the Astros kind of have their number. And to get the Yankees twice within a week of each other, I mean, that that's just a big win. And, and that game – to watch Castillo first start at T-Mobile in Seattle to just go out there and just continue to do what he's done all year, which has become the dominant pitcher we've been waiting to see, which we've both mentioned multiple times. I think the last last week when we talked about the Yankees and the Mariners that series, it was the same thing. Um, but the Yankees, they've just stopped. In the beginning of the year, they were 
playing really good baseball. They were beating teams. They had they were they they were just outrunning teams. They were they were unbelievable. They were doing everything right. Now they can't do anything right. It seems right. They started to get bit by the injury bug. The starting pitching's kind of regressed to the mean a little bit. Trading Montgomery's kind of weird still, um, especially with Sevy on the shelf. You're now having to run Herman out there every fifth day, and then you watch that extra inning game with Colin. The base running, I mean, yeah. just running themselves out of the game in extra innings. They had multiple opportunities to take the lead and would have ended up winning that game. Like they've just they've they've come back so far to the pack here. Just how they're playing the game. Yeah, I mean, side note for me as the leader of the Joey Gallo fan club, I think he needs MVP votes because his record alone on rosters is like eighty-five and like ten. <laughs> the guy just doesn't lose, but that's a side note. The curse we'll, of trading Gallo. Yeah, exactly. We'll we'll get into him, but you know, in the extra inning game, it Scott Service said that that was the best pitching he's ever seen in his life of baseball and just velocity alone. I mean, you're talking about Luis Castillo, 96 to 98, Garrett Cole, 96 to 98, Aroldis Chapman popping over a hundred, Andres Munoz popping over a hundred, Matt Brash coming out throwing wiffle balls and Lou Trevino's heavy sinker right now is looking like it's rolling with the Yankees and he's getting figured out. And I think Clay Holmes pitched that game as well. And I mean, I don't know if anybody pitched what's under 97. And just to think about that, and, and that explains why it was one nothing. You know, like obviously there were some yeah. opportunities there, especially in extra innings. But when you're able to roll arms out that are just able to do the things that these guys do, like if you really expected Garrett Cole to lay an egg after the laying an egg against the Mariners last week, that's it wasn't gonna happen that, it's just not gonna happen and and people like to talk about him not being ace no six run innings happen to everybody everybody every pitcher in the world will give up a six run innings aces Except go Jake throw five. yes it's true well he's not an ace anymore he's a, he's a mutant <laughs> um yeah he has the infinity gauntlet at this point for the avengers okay. fans out there yeah, like he's just dominant but Garrett aces go out and give up six runs and three homers and go five shutout and keep their keep it six nothing and then go seven shutout against the same team tonight. Like that's what aces yes. do, right? So that was an impressive performance to see him come out because, like you know, you talk about the pressures. Like he's that guy, and like every bad outing he has, I'm pretty sure he follows it up with a shutout. So like he's just unfazed by the moment. I know fans want to act like he's not an ace, say whatever about him, but guys just like he bounces back better than anybody. And then you have Luis Castillo, who, like you said, I can't imagine what Yankee fans are saying. Cashman probably needs, you know, a guy's been there for for how many years, and now they're getting rid, trying to get rid of him, and he's really built this perennial contender there that they have with young pieces kind of filling in. But, you know, and not even to mention the package that the Mariners gave up for him. But, I mean, he right. just looked dominant. And, again, the the Yankees lineup, the, the issue I have with the Yankees right now is their lineup is it's light and, and not even just like it is Yankees light. You have no Anthony Rizzo, no John Carlos Stanton. And when it becomes that – 
you lose a lot of the value. It makes Glaber Torres have to step up. DJ LeMahieu's breaking right now, but he has to play a different role. Um, you got guys like Miguel Andujar. Andrew Benintendi is not capable of being that guy. You know, like just all these pieces. Jose Trevino has had a great year. Like he's, you can't expect him to be the guy in a lineup. What made the, all those guys so special this year was having guys like Anthony Rizzo hit. 25 homers, you know, have guys like John Carlos Stanton giving the protection and, and kind of having those imposing at bats that he's able to have. So I'm not even worried about the lineup per se. I'm not going to say that they're like, people are trying to talk about, Oh, it's because they live and die by the home run and all the stuff like that. Well, they don't even have the guys that live and die by the home run. Like when you're running guys out and you make these off season additions of IKF and guys like that, that are defensive glove first guys that are supposed to be there to kind of help your defense up the middle Guess what? Those guys are now playing a bigger role than you expected them to play when you get hurt. It starts to tap into that depth. And IKF is a singles guy. That's all he ever was. But when Stanton's in the lineup and Rizzo's in the lineup and Judge is doing what he's doing, and that makes Glaber better and Donaldson's getting going, like <laughs> that makes IKF useful in that lineup. You take those guys out of it, he becomes what IKF is, a glove first kind of hole in the lineup. Yeah, and I don't want to talk about them too much just because we spent a whole episode talking about another New York team, but the Stanton thing, if he's just got to stay healthy and he hasn't been able to do it yeah. throughout his whole career, and it's a shame. And, you know, Rizzo's getting older and it's a back problem, which is worrisome. He came back into the lineup yesterday, which is huge for them. They needed that. But it's just, like you said, I mean, if you, if you take those two bats out of it, it's a completely different Yankees lineup. I mean, it is, and 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 like you said, IKF isn't meant to be a he's he's meant to be a guy that hits at the bottom of the order and gets on base for the guys back at the top and in the middle to drive in, so he can play glove first defense. Now, the glove hasn't been as good as it should have been this year, and mm-hmm. you know, Yankees fans again want to be upset that they didn't go get the big shortstop, and it's like, well, they've got a bunch of prospects that IKF is just the bridge, and you can win a World Series with IKF at shortstop if. Stanton's healthy and Rizzo's healthy and, and Judge is playing as the MVP and hitting a million home runs. And LeMahieu, like you said, is on fire. Like, IKF can win a World Series as your shortstop. Yeah. And you'll be happy that you didn't sign one of these guys to a long-term deal to block one of the other two guys that are coming up the middle. So, yeah. you know, I, I still think they'll be fine. I still think when everyone's healthy and when, if Severino can come back healthy in September and, you know, Cole continues to, again, be an ace, like you said, they're fine. I'm not that worried. I'm still not that worried. Sure, it's like getting swept by the Cardinals and losing two or three of the Mariners. Yeah, this is a bad stretch, but look at the record. It's like they built themselves such a lead that it's not worrisome. They're not getting caught in the division. I'm sure they wouldn't want to go to Houston in the ALCS. They're going to have to try and hold them off. But again, I wouldn't be surprised here in a couple weeks if they turn it back on. Um, Yeah. uh, The Mets continue to stay scorching hot again. You know, we we spent a whole episode talking about them. I don't know if they're going to lose another game the rest of the year. The way they're playing, they're just so filled with confidence, and they have a, a huge, a long, really long home stand right now, and they're taking full advantage of it. Um, yep. It was good to see the Brewers get off the schneid. They had Tampa come into town, and I really thought, you know, this is dangerous because they hadn't won. Tampa's, you know, hasn't been as good as you know we all expected them to be, but you know they got. They got Woodruff back, and and he went out there and did what you expect him to do yesterday to to finish a, a short two game sweep of them, 
and they really, really needed it because it was not looking good after the trade of Hader at the deadline. They hadn't won a game since. And, you know, Milwaukee's a team, it's weird because it's never going to be a lineup. And we've talked about this before. It's never going to be a lineup that you look at and say, well, this is a World Series lineup. This is a lineup that really scares me. They need a lot to go right. And I thought that when they traded Hay- Hayward, sorry, Hayter, they were making a smart move. But again, you got to be careful with what's going on in that clubhouse. You saw how those guys reacted to that move. They clearly weren't happy with it. So to see them then be able to bounce back because it was starting to be like, oh, no, because they, they were out of the playoff picture. The Cardinals had chased them down. The Phillies and Padres had kept winning. And all of a sudden, they were sitting on the backside of the, the wild card standings. And we were like, oh, man, this team that had been front running all year now looks like they're out. And, you know, the thing with if, if Yelich can ever get going, I think they have enough with Adamas. McCutcheon's starting to give him a little bit. Um you know, Renfro is another scary bat. And the guy for me that I was so excited about after his rookie year that if they could ever get Keston Hira going, it changes that line. It would do so much for that lineup. Because I really thought that here's, here comes a guy who maybe was never going to be in the league leaders in, in, in slug or even in average, but he was going to be a good on-base guy and he was going to have double double, you know, power, he was going to, you know, lose 20 to 25 a year. And what that would do, you know, he still shows the juice, but it's just not complete. And he goes through these stretches where, you know, he's almost unplayable. So if they can get him kind of going and being the guy that I everyone expected him to be, I think that would really help them out. Yeah, they they need something. I mean, Christian Yelich is a shell of what he was through his MVP years and, you know, whether that's injuries. But, like, that's where the Brewers have gone wrong, right? They've made all these savvy moves, per se. You know, they go and get a Willie Adamas to play short. You know, they kind of hold on to Keston Hira and hold on to their top prospects and let these guys debut, sign Yelich to what's at the time was coming off of his peak years, like a pretty you know fair deal for him and, deal. and for what they were trying to do and then they build around pitching and defense and and they try to lose balls every so often they you know rowdy Telez is in that lineup he's got one job hunter renfro is in that lineup he's also got mm-hmm. one job you know and they try to piece it together through that but when you have guys like keston here who just aren't holding up their end of the bargain. Like these are the guys like that they probably could have traded for an impact player along the lines at some point, but the Brewers being the savvy, smart team, you know, kind of viewing it all not in just like this one condensed moment, kind of having a holistic view of how to build a team. They hold on to the Keston heroes being like, this guy's comp to Anthony Rendon. Imagine if he gives us 80% of Anthony Rendon's production when he was with the Nats and yada, yada, yada. And he's just not doing it, you know, and, and losing that, having to play a, a Colton Wong, who's a gold glove second baseman over that, you know, having to DH and hit fourth for them, Andrew McCutcheon. And that just changes the dynamic of your roster. Like not even just your lineup, that's your roster. Like when you're kind of hinging your bets on this top 20 prospect, being a guy and being a guy that's going to come in and play every day and hitting three, four five and drive in runs and, and flash some power. And he just doesn't, that leaves a lot to be desired in your lineup. And it just puts him in a hole. And like you said, like I said, when, when Yelich isn't doing anything either, 
you know, he's been okay, but when he's not doing anything, you, that lineup just tough, tough. Yeah, and, and they're they're going to try and win it on their starting pitching. And again, I think they're starting pitching. If those guys can be healthy and, and just looking at Peralta, right, Woodruff, and Burns, you have three frontline starters, right? Three starters that any team in the league would take. And then you know, the other two guys, right now they're rolling Ashby and Lauer. That's how they're going to try and win. And, and again, if they can just get a couple of the guys to do something, do anything that we signed you to do, right? Obviously, we're not going to get Yelich back to MVP form. If Hura can lose a baseball great. Tales, Tellez can lose a baseball, great. McCutcheon, just give us something. Then that's how they're going to try and beat you. And again, which going back kind of makes it strange that you trade Hater because you are banking so much on pitching, right? On run prevention, right? You have gold glove, second baseman, you have Adamas who's an above average shortstop. Like you play good defense, you pitch. That You are banking everything on that. Um, so if those guys aren't healthy, that's been a lot of the issue too. But again, you got to be able to score. You just They don't have the balance. So the Brewers have to count on kind of catching lightning in a bottle and getting hot. And this weekend's huge, right? They're, so going into the weekend here, as we sit Thursday night, they're a game out of the first place. They're a game out of the wild card. And they're, you know, they got St. Louis for, for three games. And when you look at this series, right, they have to go to St. Louis Friday night and Saturday. And I would say that they have the advantage as far as the starters go. Friday, you know, they have Lauer going against Jordan Montgomery. I kind of like Lauer a little bit better, just kind of matching up against some of those Cardinals hitters. Um, if, if you know he's going to be a, a high fastball and then spin off of it guy, if, if he's if he's got a little juice, I kind of like the edge there. Then you got Wayne Wright going for St. Louis on Saturday, which is great. He's been turned back the clock, Wayno, but you know they got burned. The Brewers have Burns going, so again, get a win there. And then Sunday, you know, I like Nicholas. Miles Mikolas better than than Ashby, but this is huge. I mean, this series right here, just like last weekend with Atlanta and New York, this is a big series that can swing things. And if you're Milwaukee, got these two wins over Tampa, if you can try and keep this momentum going now, and, you know, St. Louis just went out to Colorado and lost two of three, right? So you you might catch them right here at a time where it's like, okay, we kind of got to, you know, have a chance here to to take back the division. And it's going to be huge. I mean, I'm – this is another series. I'm excited to watch this series this weekend. Yeah. I, I think when you roll the, that pitching staff out, they, they have a chance to win every series they go up against, you know, and, and even with that bullpen without Hater, they're still loaded. It's loaded. still a very good bullpen. So, you know, you'd like to see Freddie Peralta kind of regain that form he had last year. I know he's probably working through some injuries and trying to regain kind of consistency right now, but I mean, just on the whole, it's just, you know, that lineup, just like you can't expect Burns to go out there and like he, he's top three pitcher in the NL. He's one of the best pitchers in the world. To expect him to not give up one two run home run, one three right. run home run, you know, like one mistake. The guys have to be perfect. And when you have last year, they were, all three of them were, right? Peralta, yep. Woodruff, and Burns, and they were perfect. And, they obviously use that to their advantage. This year, Burns has been really good, near perfect, similar to last year. But when Woodruff is kind of working through some stuff, injuries here and there, Peralta kind of the same thing, that's what kind of leaves this this roster just – and then you start to see these holes. I mean, my biggest issue with the Brewers is like the, the Rays have a niche, right, when they build their lineup. Like we talked about the Brewers kind of being the Rays light. That hater move was a Rays light move. It's a very – 
very similar to what they do. What the Rays at least do is they go get guys that have high exit velo numbers and some other redeeming tool, right, off the scrap heap, right? They kind of go get a Jose Siri, who is one of the fastest guys, one of the best defenders in the in the league, and has high exit velo numbers, okay? And what do they do with him? Pencil him and set, put him in center field and pencil him into the six hole, and guess who's hitting balls 107.8 against the Brewers this week? Jose Siri. Nobody thinks about that move, right? David Peralta has one of the better barrel percentages in the MLB, right? They go and grab him kind of for cheap. And Yandy Diaz, that was the whole thing around him was high exit velo, mostly on the ground. And like, so they have a niche, right? Isaac Paredes, right? Same thing. They go and target these guys. And like, does that make their lineup potent? No, when Wander Franco's out of it, it's bad, but when they can run into balls, right? When you look at the the Brewers lineup on the other end, Luis Arias not running into many bases, right? Colton Wong, maybe one, maybe back in the day, but he's playing, giving you good defense. Like you know, like Andrew McCutcheon definitely does not provide the thump that you want. Hunter Renfro does, 100% does. Rowdy Telez does. But even Willie Adamas, like, he's a good hitter. He's, he's an above-average player. But, like, there's some there's some meat on the bone there in terms of what we're getting. So, like, when you build a lineup based off with, like, nothing, like, you kind of have, like, nothing consistent, right? And it just makes it so much harder to compete and go win when your pitchers can't be perfect every day. Yeah, and again, it's to me, it just keeps coming back to to the fact that you're banking on these guys, and there's no depth, right? So when these guys go down on the starting pitching staff, there's no one there to fill in. And here's an interesting question for you, because the, what this kind of springs to mind for me is when you talk about some of these smaller market teams, right, and trying to compete and trying to find their niche to compete, where that leaves you dry is organizational depth. And the reason the Rays have been so good recently is because they've still been able to have the depth by entrusting in their young guys, right? Randy Rosarena comes up and has that dream postseason when they needed to fill fill in a spot, right? They had Franco on the back burner when Adamas was playing short. They make the signings for Yandy Diaz. They build the depth that way. This year, it's not so much, right? Franco goes out and they don't, who are they going to call up? They try and call up Vidal Brujan and he's swinging a wet paper towel essentially, right? So does the money, like for me, it's almost like, does the big money teams, is, instead of just going big game hunting, essentially, like the Phillies had done in years past, and they did a little bit this year, but I think what's making the Phillies a playoff team this year is now they have organizational depth, right? And it's not just the big signings, right? The Bryson Stotts of the world, they had a, they had a plethora of middle infielders that they can plug and play. Segura goes out for a month. Harper goes out and, you know, they call Derek Hall because they have the depth now because they've made the they've made the right sign. Same thing in the bullpen. Same thing on the mound starting line. So it's like, okay, maybe if I, if you have this big checkbook, instead of just continuously throwing it at big free agents, let's build some organizational depth because 162-game season, you're going to go through injuries. You're going to have – now you, you cross your finger and no one wants it to happen to your MVP candidate or the guy you pencil in every day in the three-hole. But it happens sometimes, right? It's just the nature of the game. And when you have the money to be able to have the depth to stay afloat until those guys get back or get healthy, to me, it's almost like that's kind of what separates you. 
It's not about being able to go and sign you know, Trey Turner this offseason. No, it's about, okay, can I spend the money to afford the depth? Yeah. Right? And the Brewers, the Brewers can't do that. The Rays have yeah. done it through their farm system, but that well yeah. can't happen every single year. Right? You look at the Dodgers, yes, they 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 sign they sign Mickey Betts. They sign for but it's also like they have a, 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 a top pitching staff on the IL right now. Why are they still so good? Well, they have the financial flexibility to retain Tyler Anderson, Andrew Heaney, you know, guys like that to provide them the depth so when the injuries happen, they don't lose that much. Justin Turner's been out for forever. Doesn't phase the Dodgers. I think I have a tough time saying it's financials because I think it's the middle range deals and I'll kind of work backwards here. The middle range deals are the ones that hurt you the most, right? The Didi Gregorius is of the world. The guys who you have to keep on your roster because they're too expensive to get rid of and, but they're not performing well enough to play, right? The, what kind of Nick Castellanos has been this year is like, we need to find like a replacement, but we pay him too much. And that's, those are the deals that I think handcuff organizations the most. What, and I always felt like, and this will kind of get back to the Phillies point you made, and you're right, it's organizational depth. And when you're able to replace guys where you don't feel like you have to go sign a DD Gregorius, you know you're in a good spot, right? So you don't have to pony up. 110 million in four years or five years or whatever it would be for an average major league shortstop coming off a couple good years to fill that role where the Dodgers are so successful is they can let that guy walk and know that the next guy's coming up. Right. So it all comes down to ultimately your player development and the Brewers. If there's anything, everybody applauds their pitching development. They have not developed hitters. They have not, not they have not at all. They have not put any hitters in a position to be successful. And that's what the Rays do. That's what the Astros do. I mean, look at the look at the Astros. Carlos Correa goes walking right out of town. Jeremy and got a young, the yeah, Jeremy Payne yeah. comes in and freaking fills the <laughs> void. And it's those are the organizations that put themselves in the best position to be successful. And I don't even know if we had this conversation before, but I, when people would ask me what's wrong with the Phillies, I would always say Didi Gregorius playing shortstop every day is what's wrong with the Phillies, right? And right. there's nothing wrong with Didi Gregorius. It's not a shot at Didi Gregorius. It's when you as an organization feel like your best option to play shortstop is signing this guy to a four or five-year deal – that's not good because the success rate on those middle deals of aging guys in the third, like sure, yes, you get the Kyle Schwarbers of the year who get MVP votes, but guess what? You go 50-50 and you also get the Nick Castellanos side of the deal, the guy who underperforms and struggles. And, you know, I hope he regains his form, but God forbid he doesn't. Doesn't that look like a bad contract? When you have right. to rely on those pieces, it ruins you if you're not sound player development wise. And I guess my point then there too is instead of, so to me, it's a combination of player development. Absolutely. You have to have it because you cannot just continue to sign free agents. I agree with that. But I think my point too is the, the additions to the edge of the roster for mid season pick me ups when yeah. things happen injury in the off season. Absolutely. You need to continue to have player development so that 
when a, a, a Carlos Correa walks, you have a replacement full time at shortstop. But here's my the Astros also when they go into the free agent pool in the offseason, they're also going to sign a guy in case Pena goes down that can step in and play play shortstop like Aledemis Diaz. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah. to me and the finances to be able to afford something like that to have that insurance where the Brewers don't. Now I completely agree the Brewers haven't developed a hitter, and I'm thinking about it now. What can you name the last Brewers hitter that they they brought up their system outside of Ryan Braun? That's been like a, a factor in their lineup. No, that would be like, it looked like it was. It, it's been a, there's been a candidates the guys that you're like, like Keston here, Ricky Weeks back in the day. You're like, oh man, Prince. No, it's tough. Recent memory, they I, have done a bad job. Bad job, and it's crazy. It's crazy because. Be- and it's only crazy because of how well they develop pitching. Yes, right? you can understand a little up. bit if you don't have your play. Right, you you don't have your player development. If in you're order the to develop anything, yeah. right? Where you can't develop pitching, you can't develop hitting, you can't develop anything. But to have pitchers constantly come up and be competent and contributing big leaguers, to not be able to figure it out on the other side of the ball, is a little bit baffling. And it's I don't know weird. if it's a, if, I wonder if it's a drafting thing, a developing thing. I, I think I think they value different things in the draft. I think there was a stretch there where they valued tools over everything. And when you don't have the like Joe Gray is a good example who comes to mind of a guy who was just told out that right. they drafted very early. And when you don't have the resources to develop that player. You're wasting your time. You're better off grabbing Correct. a Nick Madrigal at that point, high floor, low ceiling type guy right. um, who kind of has the low variance. So I don't know, and I, I can't remember. I mean, I think they go pitching dominant anyway in the draft. They at do. The top, yep. I mean, it's just I would have to look at their farm system and their recent draft history to know. I know there was a stretch where they loved high upside high school kids, and they just they like they couldn't even close close their eyes and throw at a dartboard and hit on a hitting prospect right now. Like they couldn't, they couldn't grab a kid out of triple A and just hope that he, they do like nobody that debuts or that graduates from their farm system has done anything. I mean, their whole roster right now is traded, traded, free agent, traded, free agent sign, actually traded, 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 I think Tyrone Taylor, who's hitting nine hole for you with, with oh, you know, with a soft seven hundred OPS, yeah, is graduated from your farm system. Yeah. So when you factor it, it's it's weird. Yeah, and it's just like, and that's to where my point of the the finances comes in, where it's like they don't have the financial flexibility to kind of build your lineup that way. Well, they they have to use even if you don't go after the big. Sure, but my thing is, is like now there's no depth. Yes, there's no depth when you do it like that. There's none. There's no depth. You cannot. And 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 I think we're arguing the same point here. It's just we're getting to it in, in different ways. You in have to de- be able to develop to be able to spend money on edge of the rosters, and maybe once in a while you're yellow. So the yellow signing, I'm not going to punish them for. Mm. Who wouldn't have done that? And who wouldn't have made that move? It was great. And the MVP years were great. And again, if he just, as we've said before, if he just decided to lift once in a while, maybe he could regain some of it. But it's just, it's, it's kind of interesting to look at because 
And the whole idea of them not being able to develop any bats when they develop pitching so well is just it's confusing. Weird. Weird. It just doesn't make any sense. And the team that they're pl- they're competing with this weekend, the, the team they got to go play this weekend, is the complete opposite. They do it right, right? They don't. They can spend money on a couple guys because they have so much depth in their organization of guys that they graduate from their farm system who just contribute left and right. And they are the Cardinals are so good at figuring out what they need out of their prospects and bringing them up and forming them to that. I mean, the fact that they can go get Jordan Montgomery and give up on Harrison Bader, who's a, a really, really good defensive outfitter because they turned Dylan Carlson into a plus-plus defender in center field, right? When you when Dylan yeah. Carlson was coming up, you heard about the stick. And his kid was going to hit. He was really going to hit. And he is going to hit eventually. But they also helped turn him into a guy who's going to be a gold glove contender every year in center field. I mean, you watch a Cardinals series, and he'll make three, four, five plays out there that it's like, wow, he just took extra bases away from yeah. someone where he just got a ball in and cut a runner down. Um, so it's interesting to see those two teams you know, competing with each other so much, and they're just almost opposites, right? Because the Cardinals yeah. maybe don't get as much out of their pitching prospects as the Brewers do, but as a whole, the way they, they draft and develop is insane. Because you look at the Cardinals lineup, look at how many of those guys are homegrown. Yeah. And they can, and just then they can go plug walk. the middle of their order. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> then use their money to fill that beef up. Yeah. No, I mean, you're completely right. The Cardinals, they've been doing it for – I mean – Evans was a 13th round pick, right, at a junior college that nobody knew, and I'm sure he would have lasted right. till the 15th or 16th round if the if the Cardinals didn't think he was a first round talent, right? And they just nabbed him late there. Uh, and I will say, I think there has been a philosophical switch with the Brewers. I'm looking at their top farm system right now. Their top five prospects, top six, seven prospects, are all position players. They've gone first round for Sal Frillick and Garrett Mitchell over the last couple of years, college outfielders, high athletic, high floor guys that kind of had tools that they could develop and add. You have Joey Weimer, who they took later, who was just a high ceiling college guy. It's different than a high ceiling high school guy. And he seems to have panned out. And Jackson Cheerio is a future number one prospect in baseball who they got on the international market, which those guys are kind of – you know, you're doing different scouting internationally than you do with the draft. You kind of just can can manipulate your money to do different things. But there has been a philosophical switch in how they how they've acquired talents. But you know, it's not like uh, Keston Hero wasn't a top twenty prospect in all of baseball for a very long time. College bat, high floor guy, apparently, and and something went wrong with him. And whether it was him or the or the player development, we never know from our position sitting here. Um, but it's interesting to see, and it'll be interesting to see how the next couple of years go because they need a Jackson Churio to hit. They need a Jackson Churio to be the next Alon or Franco, and they need bad. that guy worse than bad. I mean, they need a Joey Weimer to really come up, and he's a high-ceiling guy and really get as close to that ceiling as he can and play really good corner outfielder and hit with the stick the way he's capable of because if those things do not happen it's just going to be more of the same and then you have to go sign guys like Rowdy Tellez yeah and then in the cycle and just for reference here I mean let's go through this Dylan Carlson homegrown yeah. right Tommy Edmond 
And then you got Goldschmidt, Arenado in the middle of that order. Pujols, who obviously is on a second stint with them, which shout out Albert, he had four hits yesterday. Um, then like Tyler O'Neill, Paul DeYoung, Yadier Molina, Lawrence Newbar. Nolan Gorman's playing almost every day for him. Brendan Donovan plays every day for him. It's like so then when you when you when you need to go fill the lineup and then you put two MVP candidates in the middle and just sign those two checks, right? Because then you look at the rotation and again the fringe move of getting Montgomery. That's the guy I want to go get. I put the beef in. I spent it on two. Now I'm not having. Okay, I don't have to fill shortstop. I don't have to fill second base. I don't have to fill center. I, I those guys are coming up through the system. So now it's like okay, I'm gonna go get Montgomery. I'll make a move. Yeah. I'll bring in Jordan Montgomery. He fills a need. That's depth on the rotation, right? Imagine if Flaherty's been healthy this year because Miles Mikolas through the, the war. Wainwright been around for forever. Graduated from this. It's like it's 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 impressive. And it's and again, you're so right. If, if those guys don't hit for Milwaukee, it's going to be the, just a, a continuous cycle forever. Um, we'll wrap up here. The other really good series this weekend again uh, involves the Mets. East Coast bias on this podcast, East Coast bias in sports media. So we're not going to buck that trend, although we just spent about 35 minutes talking about the Milwaukee Brewers. <laughs> no one outside of Wisconsin, I think, can we check that? No one outside of Wisconsin has ever done 35 minutes on the Milwaukee Brewers on a podcast before. Yeah. All I'm going to say is we've covered the <laughs> Orioles, the Rays, the Brewers, the Mariners, and the, the Cardinals. Cardinals. So for any of those, for any of our, handful of listeners that says we have an East Coast bias. You, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, but the Phillies do go to, to City Field for three this weekend. Um, it's a big series in the sense of the Mets are a first place team and the Phillies are in the wild card hunt. I really don't see this ending well for the Phillies. Um, and we should say some nice things about them before we I, I talk about what's going to happen this weekend. I mean, they get they get Scherzer on Friday and Degrom on Saturday, and Aaron Nola is a fine pitcher, but he's not Jacob Degrom. And Ranger Suarez just doesn't match up with Max Scherzer, especially the way the Mets are playing. Um, so I, I think that'll be a tough weekend for the Phillies. But hats off to the Phillies for just being in the position there. I mean, you're talking about a team who at the end of May was eight games under 500, right? Kind of, you know, Memorial Day they were dead in the water. Um, they they let go of Joe Girardi. Rob Thompson comes in, and they were. They're 41 and 20 since he's taken over. Um, 21 games over 500 is the best, you know, 60 game stretch the Phillies have, have had in um, since 2011. Um, they're after today, 13 games back to 13 games over 500. They lost today in the series finale to the Marlins, but they haven't been 13 games over 500 since 2011. And they're doing it in a way that it's so. As a Phillies fan, I, I can say this in the only Phillies fashion that they can do this. I mean, you look at how this team was constructed. It's almost an accident how this has happened. Because of the fact that Castellanos is hitting 258 with no power this year, and he's having to hit fifth or sixth on any given day. Bryce Harper broke his thumb on the Blake Snell fastball at the end of June. He's been out since they've been in San Diego. And it's kind of interesting because – Kyle Schwarber is the MVP of the team this year. And I think more so than anything, what Kyle Schwarber has brought to that clubhouse, along with Rob Thompson since Girardi's been let go, has been just huge for them. Because Schwarber's experience and just kind of his whole his whole act, right, has just been it's just been so calming and so good for that clubhouse. Same with Rob Thompson. And they're fun again. 
I mean, just from a fan perspective, you want to watch him every day. I fortunately, um, which we can dive into this game a little bit, I fortunately went up uh, last night to see them play against the Marlins game two of that series. They won 4-3, and they beat Sandy Al- Alcantara, who going to watch him pitch was just so enjoyable. And it was a game that, I mean, it had complete game shutout for Alcantara written all over it. I mean, he threw three innings. He had thrown four balls through three perfect innings. I think through five, he had thrown 42, 46 pitches. And it was just, he was on complete cruise control. Um, and then in the eighth inning, it was a 3-1 game in the eighth. They had gotten one off him in the sixth on an RBI double by Schwarber. And then in the eighth inning, they just stacked hits together and they didn't give that bats away. Um, it was kind of a circus of an inning. Um, they went uh, infield single, single up the middle by Stott. Uh, they had a, a failed bunt attempt by Brandon Marsh, 0-2 single up the middle, you know, and it, it, then they get a, a huge single by Schwarber, a double play ball, and then back-to-back singles. So they singled Al- Alcantara to death. And it was interesting to watch because, I mean, he was dominant. And like we've talked about him before, it was four pitches in the strike zone relentlessly where he wanted and you could see he kind of started to labor a little bit in the eighth. His command kind of went a little bit. The slider wasn't in the zone as much. So they, they were able to spin on it and kind of just zero in on hard because even his changeup is firm. And for the Mar- no one stirred in the Marlins bullpen, and that's just kind of the difference between a good team and a bad team, right? Because Don Mattingly was like, well, there's no one I'm bringing in out there who's going to be better still third, fourth time through the lineup than this guy. So he just kind of let him out there, and, and the Phillies were able to get you know three runs off him and and you know come back for the win. But again, that's not a game that the Phillies would have won any of the last I feel like ten years. Yeah, I mean that that it, they have a different feel to them. Like I actually watched the game last night and the highlights of the game last night, and just thought like this is like a feel-good, fun Phillies team. Like, usually they're mm-hmm. kind of like a, a band of, you know, like like misfits and, and kind of a couple bad free agent signings here and there yep. and some no-name guys playing in the, the outfield as their organizational depth, which we already, we've already talked about enough today. But, you know, it's like Kyle Schwarber's a guy you can root for. You know, JT Romuto is a guy you can root for. And, you know, I'm not going to say whether Keith Hernandez's comment made me want to root for the Phillies anymore this weekend, but um, I can definitely say that that team has a, they have a different feel to them uh, right now. They're, they're battling. They seem to really be enjoying what Rob Thompson's doing there. Um, it has a good feel to that team. Their depth is so much better. You know, just being able to bring up guys like Bryson Stott and have them play. Um, and those moves they made at the deadline, you were all over it. You liked it. You liked the moves. Um, definitely looks like it's playing out. And Kyle Schwarber is, I don't think he gets enough love. I mean, he, by batted ball profiles right now, is underperforming. Underperforming. And he has 34 pumps. Uh-huh. How do you underperform at 34 pumps? He's His expected WOBA is 30 points higher than his WOBA. That's under. I, I looked at that. When I saw that, I was like, what? You mean the dude who has yep. like 
50% extra base hits this year. Like we're talking about a guy and we had this conversation the other day that's going to get MVP votes. I mean, he's probably going to finish right. top 10 in the MVP voting because of what he's done. And, and we will dive in at some point. I know I pointed it out to you a couple weeks ago of what I think Kevin Long and him have accomplished over the last two years, start with the Nats and, and we can kind of dive into the nitty gritty of, of what's making him so special now. But the last two years for him have been special. I don't, I don't think he's done. I don't think he's going to lose this skill set that he's gained. I think he's only going to continue to get more and more comfortable with it. And, and he's going to perform at this elite rate that he's performing at now. And, and that's what that lineup needed. Reese Hoskins has always been, since the day he stepped on a big league roster, streaky as anything. Right, you'll get the seven homer week, and then you'll get the zero homer month, and you'll be like, "What? Mm-hmm. What is wrong with this guy?" So when you can have Mister Consistency and JT Realmuto and Kyle Schwarber and Alec Baum stepping up and being those guys, and Gene Segura just being that, now Gene Segura is that much more valuable, right? We talk about yeah, hit seven, right? And two years last year, when you have Gene Segura hitting second. And at the top of your order and expecting him to be a guy with Bryce, he's not good. And I would probably sit there and tell you he's not good. And again, being able to move him into a different role where it's just like, hey, just go get knocks every so often. We'll take care of it. Take the pressure off that guy. Let him hit 280 and just do his thing. And it just changes the dynamic of your roster. Not to mention Aaron Nola being an ace and Zach Wheeler being an ace as well right now. That helps as well. Yeah, and I think it's nice that I don't have to do this. You can sit here and just say the things that I I think. Um, I appreciate that. Um, But yeah, again, the Schwarber thing is just unbelievable. And I think a guy with the setup, just how calm he is in the box and just how simple he's swinging. He's so strong that when he touches it, it's just, and again, we'll get into more about what you talked about with him and K-Long, and he's just got it figured out. And this is what the Cubs, this he's the guy now that the Cubs thought they were getting. And people still underrate him because of the batting average, and I get that. And I think a lot of those expected numbers come from when he's not that? elevating the ball. What'd you say? Do you get that? The batting <laughs> I mean, average? No, I don't get it, but I understand why people look at that and, and don't. You know, that's how everyone always looks. It's still the first first line of anyone's stat column is still average. Um, but the the for me it's like he gets he loses a lot of hits in the shift. A lot of hits in the shift. I mean, just last yeah. night alone he had a hundred and ten mile an hour ground out to right field. You know, and Joey Wendell standing in the in the middle of right field and fields it and throws him out. Um, and he did it again today. I watched him do it again today. So he loses a lot of that, which is why I think some of those numbers are down. But when you look at just they quality that bat. He doesn't have a bad at bat because he sees pitches so well, and he's just so simple to the baseball and on plane that he has good at bats every time he's up there. Um, and again, I think just the 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 confidence that Alec Baum has now, where he's starting to finally play, and people have just kind of let him breathe and be the guy that he is because he wasn't going to be the savior of the of, of the organization, but he doesn't need to be now because they have more depth, right? He's now hitting third in their lineup, which when Bryce comes back, he won't be. But, you know, he's hitting 293. He's starting to figure out how to catch the ball out in front a little bit and slug. It's confidence. It's just, a, like you said, it's a different vibe, and it's, it's made them more enjoyable to watch. And 
Another one I'd love to dive in more on because it's fascinating is Noah Syndergaard, who I think they're just completely trying to change how he pitched because he came back from the injury. And, you know, he's 92 to 94 now with his fastball. So they're turning him into a sinker slider guy. And they're taking a slider and they're almost turning it into a cutter, which I think could work. It's going to take a while for him to figure it out. But another really good pickup, you let that guy go pitch five innings every fifth day and now you have a stronger bullpen and they're interesting. Um, And Nolan Wheeler would give a team in a three-game series some problems. So, you know, I don't think they're World Series contenders yet. And if they ever want to get there, they're going to need to hit on a couple more prospects, um, which they have some big arms right now which is new. Um, they've started to do Preston Mattingly has started to do a really good job with their, their player development. They have some big arms that if, you know, they develop will change things. And then, you know, again, if they need, if they ever want to be world series contenders then Castellanos needs to turn back into Nick Castellanos, which I very well may think he probably will. Um, so yeah, they're interesting. They're fun. Again, this weekend, Phillies fans, don't be too distraught when they lose two or three or get swept by the Mets. And you, when you have to go face Scherzer and DeGrom, it's not easy. And the way the Mets are playing, especially at home, I don't know who I, I – if, if Phillies, Yankees, Astros, Dodgers, it could be anyone in this series, and I'd still say the Mets are at least winning the first two games of the series right now. Is that fair to say? I'd take the Dodgers. Take them I, I know you would, but I just the way they're that – I would not be – They've won 10 straight. Fair enough, but the way the Mets are, it feels different. Again, for the Dodgers, it feels like they're on cruise control, which is crazy to say, but it does. But it's just, it's nothing to them, right? And so the Mets, the Mets are enjoying it. These games matter more to the Mets right now. Yes. Yeah. I'm such a good podcaster that I, uh, even when I was talking about my favorite team for about 10 minutes there, I even was, I went back and uh, complimented the Mets. I won't address Keith Hernandez. Good. We need a whole. Yeah, I mean, I, I would. That. I wouldn't make anyone happy. I wouldn't make Mets fans happy. I wouldn't make Phillies fans happy. Just uh, it's a clown thing to say. It was a clown thing to say. I just, I just, as a professional, like I don't care what that he said about the Phillies. Like, cool, but like as a professional, like, oh, I asked our front office here to ask him why not to. It's like, just do your job. Anyway. Yeah. I think that's a perfect place to end. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you got anything else for me? No, any series you're looking forward to this weekend, specifically other than the Phillies and Mets? Um, yeah, the Cardinals and Brewers, for sure. I yeah. cannot wait to watch that series. I just, I think, it's, again, it's fascinating how those two teams are. are I think they're... They're trending in different directions for sure, but I would like to see the Brewers kind of put their foot down. I think they have a chance to. Um, and as far as series where two teams are contention, that's probably really it, right? I mean, yeah. see if the Yankees can bounce back against the Red Sox, but I'm so tired of worrying about the Yankees and Red Sox. And a sneaky good series is the Blue Jays and the Guardians and the Orioles and the Rays. So yep. there's some good baseball to watch. Those will be some good ones. Go O's. Go O's. Oh, it's Birdland. Feel the fever.